On June 12, 2014, precisely at 3:33 in a balmy winter afternoon in São Paulo, Brazil, a typical South American winter afternoon, this kid, this young man that you see celebrating here like he had scored a goal, Juliano Pinto, 29 years old, accomplished a magnificent deed. Despite being paralyzed and not having any sensation from mid-chest to the tip of his toes as a result of a car crash six years ago that killed his brother and produced a complete spinal cord lesion at this level in Giuliano and left him in a, wheel, in a wheelchair, Giuliano raised to the occasion and in this day did something that pretty much everybody that saw him in these six years deemed impossible. Giuliano Pinto delivered the kick, the opening kick of the 2014 Brazilian World Soccer Cup here just by thinking. He could not move his body, but he could imagine the movements needed to kick a ball. He was an athlete before the lesion. He's a para-athlete right now. He's going to be in the Olympic Games, I hope, in a couple of years. But what the spinal cord Legion did not rob from Giuliano was his ability to dream. And dream he did in that afternoon for a stadium with about 75,000 people in an audience of close to a billion watching on TV. And that kick crowned basically 30 years of basic research studying how the brain, how this amazing universe that we have between our ears that is only comparable to the universe that we have above our head because it has about a hundred billion elements talking to each other through electrical brainstorms. What Giuliano accomplished took 30 years to imagine on laboratories and about 15 years to plan. When John Chapin and I, 15 years ago, proposed in a paper that we would build something that we call a brain-machine interface, meaning connecting a brain to devices so that animals and humans could just move these devices, no matter how far they are from their own bodies, just by imagining what they want to do. Our colleagues told us that we actually needed professional help <laughs> of the psychiatry variety. And despite that, you know, a Scotch and a Brazilian, you know, persevered, and, uh, because that's how we were uh, raised in our respective countries, and for 12, 15 years, we made demonstration after demonstration suggesting that this was possible. And a brain-machine interface is nothing, it's not rocket science, it's just brain research. It's nothing but using sensors to read the electrical brainstorms that the brain is producing to generate the motor commands that have to be downloaded to the spinal cord. So we projected sensors that can read hundreds and now thousands of these brain cells simultaneously and extract from these electrical signals the motor planning that the brain is generating to actually make us move into space. And by doing that, we converted these signals into digital commands that any mechanical, electronic, or even a virtual device can understand, so that the subject can imagine what he, she, or it wants to make move, and the device obeys the brain command. By sensorizing these devices, with lots of different types of sensors, as you're going to see in a moment, we actually send messages back to the brain to confirm that that voluntary motor will was being enacted no matter where, next to the subject, 
next door or across the planet. And as this message feedback back to the brain, the brain realizes its goal to make us move. So this is just one experiment that we published a few years ago where a monkey, without moving its body, learned to control the movements of an avatar arm, a virtual arm that doesn't exist. What you're listening is the sound of the brain of this monkey as it explores three different visually identical spheres on virtual space. And to get a reward, a drop of orange juice that monkeys love, this animal has to detect, select one of these objects by touching, not by seeing it, by touching, because every time this virtual hand touches one of the objects, an electrical pulse goes back to the brain of the animal, describing the fine texture of the surface of this object, so that the animal can judge what is the correct object that he has to grab. And if he does that, it gets a reward without moving a muscle, the perfect Brazilian lunch not moving a muscle and getting your orange juice. <laughs> so, as we saw this happening, we actually came and proposed the idea that we had published 15 years ago. We reenact this paper, we got it out of the drawers, and we proposed that perhaps we could get a human being that is paralyzed to actually use a brain-machine interface to regain mobility. The idea was that if you suffer, and that can happen to any one of us, let me tell you, it's very subtle. It's a millisecond of a collision in a car accident that transforms your life completely. If you have a complete lesion of the spinal cord, you cannot move because your brainstorms cannot reach your muscles. However, your brainstorms continue to be generated in your heads. Paraplegic, quadriplegic patients dream about moving every night. They have that inside the head. The problem is how to get that code out of it and make the movement be created again. So what we proposed was, let's create a new body. Let's create a robotic vest. And that's exactly why Giuliano could kick that ball, just by thinking, because he was wearing the first brain control robotic vest that can be used by paraplegic, quadriplegic patients to move and to regain feedback. That was the original idea 15 years ago. What I'm going to show you is how 156 people from 25 countries all over the five continents of this beautiful earth dropped their lives, dropped their patents, dropped their dogs, wives, kids, school, jobs, and congregated to come to Brazil for 18 months to actually get this done. Because when we heard, a couple of years after Brazil was awarded the World Cup, we heard that the Brazilian government wanted to do something meaningful in the opening ceremony in the country that reinvented and perfected soccer until we met the Germans, of course. <laughs> but that's a different talk, and a different neuroscientist needs to talk about that. <laughs> but what Brazil wanted to do is to showcase a completely different country, a country that values science and technology and can give a gift to millions, 25 million people around the world that cannot move any longer because of spinal cord injury. Well, we went to the Brazilian government, to FIFA, and propose, well, let's have the kickoff of the 2014 World Cup be given by a Brazilian paraplegic using a brain control exoskeleton that allows him to kick the ball and to feel the contact with the ball. They looked at us, thought that we were completely nuts, and said, okay, let's try. We had 18 months to do everything from zero, from scratch. We had no exoskeleton, we had no patients, we had nothing done. These people came all together, and in 18 months, we got eight patients in a routine of training, 
and basically built from nothing this guy that we call Brazil Santos Dumont One. The first brain-control exoskeleton to be built was named after the most famous Brazilian scientist ever, Alberto Santos Dumont, who, in 19 of October 1901, created and flew himself the first control airship on air in Paris for a million people to see. Sorry, my American friends, I live in North Carolina, but it was two years before the brothers, Wright brothers, flew on the coast of North Carolina. <laughs> Flight control is Brazilian. So we went together with these guys, and we basically put this exoskeleton together, 15 degrees of freedom hydraulic machine that can be commanded by brain signals recorded by a non-invasive technology called electroencephalography that can basically allow the patient to imagine the movements and send these commands to uh, the controls, the motors, and get it done. This exoskeleton was covered with an artificial skin invented by Gordon Shank, one of my greatest friends in Munich, to allow sensation from the joints moving and the foot touching the ground to be delivered back to the patient through a vest, a shirt, there is a smart shirt with micro-vibrating elements that basically deliver the feedback and fools the patient's brain by creating a sensation that is not a machine that is carrying him, but it's him who is walking again. So we got this going, and what you see here is the first time one of our patients, Bruno, actually walked. And it takes a few seconds because we are setting everything and you're going to see a blue light coming in front of the helmet because Bruno is going to imagine the movement that needs to be performed. The computer is going to analyze it. Bruno is going to certify it. And when it's certified, the device starts moving under the command of Bruno's brain. And he just got it right. And now he starts walking. After nine years without being able to move, he's walking by himself. And more than that, More than just walking, he's feeling the ground. And if the speed of the ESO goes up, he tells us that he's walking again on the sand of Santos, the beach resort where he used to go before he had the accident. That's why the brain is creating a new sensation in Bruno's head. So he walks, and at the end of the walk, I'm running out of time already, he says, you know, guys, I need to borrow this thing from you when I get married because I want to walk to the priest and see my bride and actually be there by myself. Of course, he will have it whenever he wants. And this is what we wanted to show during the World Cup and couldn't, because, you know, for some mysterious reason, FIFA cut the broadcast in half. Uh, what you have going to see very quickly is Giuliano Pinto in the exo doing the kick a few minutes before we went to the pitch and did the real thing in front of the entire crowd. And the lights you can see just describe the operation. Basically, the blue lights pulsating indicate that the exo is ready to go. It can receive thoughts and it can deliver feedback. And when Bruno makes the decision to kick the ball, you're going to see two streams of green and uh, yellow light coming from the helmet and going to the legs, representing the mental commands that were taken by the exo to actually make that happen. And in basically 13 seconds, Giuliano actually did. You can see the commands, 
he gets ready, the ball is set, and he kicks. And the most amazing thing is, 10 seconds after he did that and looked at us in the pitch, he told us, celebrating as you saw, I felt the ball. And that's priceless. So, so where this is going to go, I have two minutes to tell you that is going to the limit of your imagination. Brain actuating technologies here. This is the latest. We just published this a year ago, the first brain-to-brain -brain interface that allows two animals to exchange mental messages so that one animal that sees something coming from the environment can send a mental SMS, a torpedo, a neurophysiological torpedo to the second animal, and the second animal performs the act that he needed to perform without ever knowing what the environment was sending as a message because the message came from the first animal's brain. So this is the first demo. I'm going to be very quick because I want to show you the latest. But what you see here is the first rat getting informed by a light that is going to show up on the left of the cage that he has to press the left cage to basically get a reward. He goes there and does it. At the same time, he's sending a mental message to the second rat that didn't see any light. And the second rat, in 70% of the times, is going to press the left lever and get the reward without ever experiencing the light in the retina. Well, we took this to a little higher limit by getting monkeys to collaborate mentally in a brain net, basically to donate their brain activity and combine them to move the virtual arm that I showed you before. And what you're seeing here is the first time that two monkeys combine their brains, synchronize their brain perfectly to get this virtual arm to move. One monkey is controlling the X dimension, the other monkey is controlling the Y dimension. But it gets a little more interesting when you get three monkeys in there and you ask one monkey to control X and Y, the other monkey to control Y and Z, and the third one to control X and Z. And you make them all play the game together, moving the arm to, in 3D into a target to get the famous Brazilian oranges. And they actually do. The black dot is the average of all these brains working in parallel, in real time. That's the definition of a biological computer interacting by brain activity and achieving a motor goal. Where this is going, we have no idea. <laughs> We're just scientists. <laughs> We're paid to be children, to basically go to the edge and discover what is out there. But one thing I know, one day in a few decades, when our grandchildren surf the net just by thinking, or a mother donates her eyesight to an autistic kid that cannot see, or someone speaks because of a brain-to-brain -brain bypass, some of you remember that it always started on a winter afternoon in a Brazilian soccer field with an impossible kick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
Thank you for sticking with time, but actually we're giving you a couple more minutes because there are a couple of points we want to develop. And of course, clearly it seems that we need connected brains to figure out where this is going. Uh, so let's, let's connect all this together. Uh, so if I understand it correctly, one of the monkeys is actually getting a signal and the other monkey is reacting to the signal just because the first one is receiving it and transmitting the neurological... No, impulses. it's a little different. Uh, no monkey knows of the existence of the other two monkeys. Mm -hmm. They are getting a visual feedback in 2D, but the task they have to accomplish is 3D. They have to move an arm in three dimensions. But each monkey is only getting the two dimensions on the video screen that uh, the monkey controls. And as to get that thing done, you need at least two monkeys to synchronize the brains, but the idea is three. So what we found out is that when one monkey starts slacking down, the other two monkeys enhance their performance to get the guy to come back. So this adjusts dynamically, but the synchrony remains, the global synchrony remains the same. Now, if you flip without telling the monkey the dimensions that each brain has to control, like this guy is controlling X and Y, but he should be controlling now Y and Z, instantaneously, that animal's brain forgets about the old dimensions and it starts concentrating on the new dimensions. So what I need to say is that no Turing machine, no computer can predict what a brain net will do. So we'll absorb technology as part of us. Technology will never absorb us. It's simply impossible. How, how many times have you tested this? Uh, and, and how many times have you succeeded versus failed? Oh, it's tens of times. With the three monkeys? Yes. Oh, several times. You can, I wouldn't be able to talk about this here unless I have done it you know, a few times. And I forgot to mention, because of time, that just three weeks ago, a uh, European group just demonstrated the first man-to-man, brain-to-brain connection. And how does that play? It was one bit of information, but you know, big ideas start hum you know, in a humble way. But basically, one subject was uh, having uh, the brain activity of one subject was transmitted to a second object, all non-invasive technology. So the first subject got a message, like our rats, a visual message, and transmitted to the second subject. The second subject received a magnetic pulse on the visual cortex, or a different uh, pulse, two different pulses. In one pulse, the subject saw something. On the other pulse, it saw something different. And he was able to verbally indicate what was the message the first subject was sending wow. through the internet across continents. Wow. OK, that's where we are going. And that's the next TED Talk at the next conference. Miguel Nicolelli, thank, thank you. Thank you, Bruno. Thank you.